Holy crap, do we have a long show in store for you this week. It's the beginning of a new year, and we're looking forward by looking back. A few weeks ago, I tested 5G in the Chicago area, and this week, Miriam Joar is on hand to talk about 5G, where it is, and why Millimeter Wave is the future. Yes, I just said that. It's the Benefit of a Doubt podcast. Hello and welcome to the Benefit of a Doubt podcast. I'm your host, Adam Dowd, and this week we've got an interview with Miriam Joar, who, if you're not familiar with her work, you need to be, because she is a font of information about just about any tech subject. She's amazing, and our full interview is almost an hour long, so you can imagine how hard it was to cut it down to 30 minutes for you and how much you'll be missing, unless, of course, you're a patron or you wait until February to hear the full thing. Was that a run-on sentence? Who cares? Plus, I'm taking a look at a gadget that I picked up over the summer but haven't really given a good look at until now because of reasons I'll talk about in the review. I told you. This is a long show, and we're going to start, of course, with the news of the week. We're going to start off our news with a new little segment I'm calling Freelance Corner. You see, this podcast almost pays for itself, but it does not pay for my house, my car, or my gymnast daughter. So in between creating amazing content for you, I'm busy creating amazing content for other folks around the tech industry. And in this segment, I'm going to tell you a little bit about each project that I publish and post a link so you can go find it. And we're going to start with Android Central. Over at Android Central, I published two pieces this week. The first examines the Sony Xperia 1 Mark II and whether or not you should buy Sony's 2020 flagship in 2021. I won't spoil the end here, but Sony's 2020 flagship has great specs and great photography chops, and those aren't the only reasons to give it a look. Then I wrote a short piece on how to turn off battery optimization on your Samsung phone because, let's face it, statistically speaking, you're probably using a Samsung phone. I cover the reasons why you might want to turn it off and how to do it. And finally, over on LifeWire, I took a look at some USB Type-C adapters and dongles that you might want to pick up because every computer maker out there has decided that ports are bad. Every computer maker except MSI, that is. Holla! Anyway, there are a bunch of them out there, and this is a great list, so be sure to check it out. And now, on to the news. Let's just get the big story out of the way, shall we? This week, the United States Capitol building was attacked by insurrectionists seeking to stop the House of Representatives and Senate from confirming Joe Biden's win in the November 2020 election. And it's not entirely inaccurate to point out that President Trump kind of told them to go do that. Of course, not in so many words, because the world isn't that simple. But when a guy tells you to march on a building and stop something from happening there... He can't exactly excuse himself from how they go about doing it. Anyway, this is a tech podcast, so what's the tech, bro? Well, it only took five years, but Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube all suspended Donald Trump's social media accounts for inciting violence. The bans came in many forms of duration and severity, but basically after four years of people asking the social networks how much is enough, we found out. 
Even Snapchat turned off Trump's account, and this is a platform known for temporary porn and dick pics. Do you know how bad you have to be to get kicked off of Snapchat? Snapchat is desperate for people to use its platform, and now it's actually kicking somebody out? Good lord. But Twitter's the one that has to hurt the most. Twitter permanently banned real Donald Trump due to incitement of violence. Apparently Trump played ball for about an hour after his account came back online, but then dropped two new tweets, which I didn't see because I don't follow douchebags, but which Twitter said in a statement that the tweets could be seen as further suggesting or inciting violence, and I'm sorry that just does not surprise me and can January 20th get here already. Anyway, Trump is off Twitter, or at least until one of his advisors teaches him how to set up a new Gmail account and registers, I don't know, real Donald Trump 2, which, by the way, I tried to do that, and it's 16 characters, so it wouldn't work, but you get the idea. My point is, as long as Gmail is free, I'm fairly sure he's going to be back, but that begs the question, is the account suspended or the man? Because if it's the account, <laughs> whatever. He can get back up to 80 million followers by tomorrow with a fake email address and a new username. But if it's the man, that makes things a lot more tricky. And unfortunately, I'm positive that this is a developing story. So probably not the last time you've heard about this. I'm sorry to say. Google workers announced a plan to unionize this week with the Communications Workers of America. The Alphabet Workers Union would be an opt-in union open to all workers and contractors of the company. The stated goals of the union include, quote, fighting the real names policy, to opposing Project Maven, to protesting the egregious multi-million dollar payouts that have been given to executives who have committed sexual assault, and we're not going to name names, but we're referring to Andy Rubin. Oh crap, did we just say his name? Oh well. Membership in the union will require 1% of every member's salary as dues to be put towards organization and paying legal fees, air quotes. And just so I'm clear about my feelings on unions, I find it very interesting that when you're organizing a new union, items on the to-do list are one, organize, and two, legal fees. Like, let's all get together and find something to be pissed off about so we can go to the negotiating table. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Unions are important, especially against a gigantic company like Google. I just enjoy the irony so you know sue me yes pun intended this isn't so much of a tech story as it is a film story and since the tech space is filled with filming and videos it seemed relevant and plus it's my podcast so Suck it up, bro. Over the Christmas break, I was turned on to a movie called 1917, which is a movie set in World War I and features two soldiers sent to deliver a set of orders across enemy lines to Doctor Strange on the other side. But the cool thing about this movie is that it's basically all filmed in one shot, or so it seems. In reality, there's about six shots involved in the production, and Vox breaks down some of the film techniques used to mask the fact that the movie was not actually done all in one shot. Think of it kind of like a domino track. You know when you're setting up dominoes to knock over, you occasionally leave gaps in the track, so if you screw up and knock a row over, you don't blow up the whole thing? Well, once you're done setting up the whole thing, you carefully carefully go back and put dominoes into those gaps. Well, 1917 is like that, but with film. It's really fascinating to look at the amount of planning that goes into a sequence like this, and I'm more than a little proud of the fact that I spotted at least three of the gaps before I watched the Vox video. But the really cool thing is these kinds of shots have been done for decades, and Vox kind of lays them all out for you, and they're really cool when they work. However, the soldiers in 1917... 
they are really bad soldiers, and I'm not going to spoil it, but trust me, they are not very good at their jobs. Last week, we talked to Johnny Feist about the new drone laws going into effect, and more specifically, we talked about how new drones were going to have to have radio IDs broadcast built into them. Well, Google is not too thrilled about the radio part of that. Google would rather see drones that have internet-based location systems built into them transmitting IDs rather than open radio broadcast. Google says that Americans aren't ready for that loss of privacy, citing concerns that drone deliveries will be broadcasting those IDs as well, and people will know to whose houses the drones are going. According to Google, internet-based transponder systems are safer and far more secure. So that was the obvious way to go. And sure, I get that. With open radio broadcasts, anybody can pull up the locations of drones and operators in the area and see who's flying them and where they are too. Totally valid concern, but... You have to consider the source here. Google probably already has an easy solution that drone makers could have leased from them to broadcast location IDs via the internet. They were actually probably counting on it. But the fact is, there are many, many concerns with internet-based reporting, to name just a few. Cost of cellular modems and drones. Cost of monthly service plans for drone owners. Lack of any kind of wireless internet coverage in... I don't know, half the continental United States. So, yeah, those are all problems. But then that's less than half the list of issues that the FAA considered and rejected point by point to the tune of about 15 pages of reasons detailing why not. Now, of course, my question is, why can't we have both? Why not do radio in low-service areas and internet-based in populous areas and let the two standards fight each other for it, kind of like VHS versus Betamax? Personally, I think the last thing our internet infrastructure needs is another load on it. And you might be thinking, well, yeah, but how many people have drones? Well, consider these rules were put into place to pave the way for drone deliveries, so I'm not too worried about my two drones or maybe the one other drone that's somewhere in my neighborhood. I'm worried about Amazon's two million drones, or FedEx's million drones, or freaking Domino's Pizza's 80,000 drones. That's a lot of extracellular communication. But anyway, radio it is for now until rules change, because as always, rules can indeed change. Ironically, I read this next news story on the day of the Capitol invasion, and the story is about a 25-year-old bet that finally came due at the end of 2020. The Wired article has the full story, but I can summarize it. Back in 1995, Kevin Kelly, the executive editor of Wired magazine, met with the author Kirkpatrick Sale, who wrote several books about back-to-basics, off-the-grid living, and how it was best for everyone, yada, yada, yada. During the interview, Kelly and Sale made a $1,000 bet that in 25 years, considering how technology was advancing, that society would crumble and be a husk of its former self. The end of 2020 was the end of that 25 years, and according to the bet, three criteria had to be met for Kirkpatrick Sale to be right. First, economic collapse. Basically, the dollar and many other currencies around the world would have to be worthless. Second, global environmental disaster, which is vague, but we'll move on. Third, war between the rich and the poor. Now, you might look at those three things and think, yeah, I guess Kirkpatrick Sale won the bet. And honestly, when you look at the state of the world, economic collapse, environmental disaster, and economic disparity are at an all-time high, and... So who won the bet? Well, I'm not going to tell you here. You can go read the article for yourself. But what I will say is that you're still listening to this podcast and not currently foraging for food. So there's a little bit of a hint for you. 
Elon Musk has had a very, very good year, and if you're kicking yourself for not buying Tesla stock at the bargain basement price of $38 a share, now that it's risen to almost $900 per share, well, well, yeah, I get that, and I feel for you and consider my own butt kicked by me. But Tesla stock has done so well that this week Musk passed Jeff Bezos to become the richest man in the world, surpassing the Amazon CEO by almost $10 billion with a B dollars. Musk has added $165 billion to his wealth this year alone in what Bloomberg is calling the fastest wealth generation in history. Now, I'm critical of Elon Musk at times, because like our outgoing president, he has a tendency to tweet first and think later. But in this case, I give mad props to his response to the news that he was the richest man in the world, because again, this is Elon Musk after all. But in a pair of tweets, Musk replied, how strange, well, back to work. And man, I respect the hell out of that reply, because in those six words, he's putting out a lot of ideas. The importance of hard work, the importance of never resting on your laurels, recognition that this is a very volatile world and things could change in an instant. But at the end of the day, all you have is your accomplishments. Or it's very possible Elon Musk was just in a meeting and he had to get back to it. Either way, it's still a cool response. And finally, last week I talked about Boston Dynamics ringing in the new year with a quartet of dancing robots. This week, IEEE sat down with Aaron Saunders, VP of Engineering at Boston Dynamics, to talk about how they went about creating the dance choreography and what kinds of programming it was required to do. Long story short, Boston Dynamics didn't necessarily plan to release this for the new year because this is actually a months and months long process developing the necessary skills and programming to achieve this. The link is in the show notes at benefitofadow.com, and I encourage you to go read the whole story because it's a fascinating look at how engineers did this along with dancers and choreographers and finding a good mesh between them. So go check that out. And if you haven't already watched the video, it's embedded in that story as well. For this Tech Yeah segment, I wanted to tell you about a device that solved a problem that I didn't know I had for the last 10 years. You see, every year on Christmas Day, my family gets together and eats some of the best premium roast beef that I have ever wrapped my lips around. It's seriously so, so very, very good. And by the way, if you live in Chicago or the suburbs, check out the premium roast from Reagan Meats in Glenview and you'll thank me later. Anyway, year after year, we've cooked this roast and it seems like the directions were never really quite right. It would say cook for 100 minutes and then we would inevitably pull it out, stick in the meat thermometer and find out that the meat was only 120 degrees and that would kill us. So we'd stick it back in for 20 minutes, check the temperature again, stick it back in, rinse, repeat. Well, over the summer, I got a new device called the meter and I unboxed it for another outlet. So you may have seen it over there. And then I used it a couple of times when we barbecued, but you know, COVID, so we didn't do much barbecuing. Plus, I never felt I was really using that device for the right occasion. So this Christmas, it occurred to me, let's try the meter in the roast. But before I finish the story, I should probably tell you what the heck meter is. The meter is a Bluetooth connected meat thermometer that you stick into the meat and leave there even in the oven. You set up the app and it gives you all the data you need, the temperature of the meat, the ambient temperature in your cooking environment, and the estimated time remaining until your cook is done. 
It does this with a Bluetooth connection that it makes first to the base that you store the meter in that also charges the device, but then the base is a repeater that sends the connection to your phone. And this is done completely wirelessly, and I should point out that it's being done while the probe is inside a slab of meat inside a metal oven at up to 575 degrees. You keep the base close to the oven for it to connect, and then the base repeats the signal to your phone up to 165 feet away. And you might be asking, how do the electronics survive that intense heat? Well, the bottom part of the probe is the part that goes into the meat and actually uses the meat itself as a sort of protective sheath. After all, the meat's never going to get more than 165 or 170 degrees Fahrenheit. It's really quite smart. At the top of the device, there's a ceramic housing which can withstand temperatures of up to 575 degrees. So back to the story. This year, we put the meter inside the roast and put the roast in the oven and set up the cook. Bingo, bango, bongo, we pulled out the meat exactly once and it was the perfect temperature and, might I add, magnifique taste. Anyway, now before you scoff, was this a huge problem that we had over the years? No, no, it wasn't. But it was an annoying one, and on a holiday, when you have a bunch of people over, or in the case of this year, like five people over, but whatever, any delay to the food can be a downer, and this year, Meter made that absolutely no problemo whatsoever. Now for the downsides, and there's really only like one and a half. The first downside is kind of the price. This costs $99, which isn't bad. Competing products all cost around that much, but the most competing products have wires that connect to a base, and this one does not, so it's very much more convenient, and for my money, that's what I'll spend it on. Having experienced this over the holiday and found out how much easier it is to cook with it, the second downside to this is one that you'll probably only have to experience once, but onboarding on the app it's a little annoying. You have to go through the step-by-step -step process to connect to the base and then connect to the phone, and then you have to go through a little tutorial, yada, yada, yada. Well, over the summer, during review season, I went through this process like four or five times because I had four or five different phones that I was using, and there was no way to skip past this, so it got a little annoying. If you only use one phone, though, you won't find it nearly as annoying. So if you fancy yourself a gourmet chef, or if you just want to roast the perfect premium roast, I definitely recommend this thing. It takes out a lot of the guesswork out of cooking, which for me is incredibly valuable. There's a link to it at benefitofadow.com, and if you click on that link and buy one, I'll get a little cut, and it won't cost you anything extra. Enjoy the beef or chicken or whatever culinary delight awaits you, and I thank you for listening. Our next segment features an interview with Miriam Joar, who is an expert in many fields and spends her time writing, making videos, and just generally being awesome on the internet. And normally, I'd cut right to the chase and start up the interview, but as I was editing this, I noticed a thing that I wanted to let you know about first. This interview was recorded near the beginning of October, pre-iPhone 12, and as you'll remember, the debut of the iPhone 12 was also the debut of Verizon's low-band, pretty please Apple, let us sell the iPhone 5G network. So there are several references in this interview to Verizon only having a millimeter wave network, and whoops, that's just how this thing kind of works out. Anyway, without further ado, on to the interview. 
Our next guest on the podcast is a guest whose resume I would kick a sack full of puppies to have. In addition to working with some of the most well-known companies, including stints at Engadget, Pebble, Sony, OnePlus, and more, she's also the host of the always fun mobile tech podcast and a freelancer basically everywhere. And it is with great pleasure that I welcome Tank Girl herself, Miriam Joar, to the podcast. Miriam, welcome. Hey, thanks, Adam. How's it going? It is going well. I've got this. Uh, I've got this little weekly podcast going. I know you're familiar with that grind. So um, <laughs> yes. So yeah, um, we're. Um, I do yeah. need to correct you. I, ne- I have never worked for OnePlus. I've actually done some uh, freelance work for them in terms of consulting, but. Oh right, I, I, right. I have never been an employee of theirs. You, so, yeah. You've never had OnePlus written on your paycheck. Okay, no, that's that's a fair correction. Or so, had a OnePlus business card, which I guess would be the other thing. That would be that, that would be I, cool. I'd, I'd take the paycheck though over the business card, honestly, if it were me. So, but who wouldn't? But, right? uh, yeah, I know, right? So yeah, uh, you know, and you know, that's the thing about that's the thing about you and with me. Like when you're freelancing, lines get real blurry. <laughs> So it's kind of uh, it's kind of fun, like you know, when you're uh, when you're doing your thing, and like, are you doing this for this thing? No, I'm doing this thing for that thing. All right, okay. And CES hates that; they really, really hate that. Just inside inside baseball. So let's uh, let's go ahead and transition over to you know what we're what what I've got you on the line here for. And the main reason I wanted to reach out to you was because you and I have had conversations about five G a couple different times. We were together in Chicago when Moto rolled out the 5G Moto mod, and on the Android Authority podcast, when I was hosting that little show, we had you on to talk about 5G, and I, I really loved your insights into you know where the technology is going to take us, and so that's why I kind of wanted to bring you on. We're kind of doing a series, this 2020 state of you know yada yada in 2020, and this time we're going to be talking about 5G, and I think I, I wouldn't, it would be disingenuous to call this a state of 5G. 5G because I'm not sure there really is a state of 5G at this point. Um, But so, you know, so that's why I wanted to talk to you and, you know, see where we're see where we're going with all of this. And I want to start off by asking, like, 5G more than anything has been rife with marketing speak and advertising lingo until I think really only nerds like us really know what the hell it is. So um, if you were if you were at a party and someone said, hey, Mary, what's this 5G stuff? What are you going to tell them? Well, I'd say you know how your phone has LTE right now. Um, probably you've seen that little LTE or 4G logo on your phone. Yeah. Well, that's the technology, the the generation of technology that your phone uses to connect to the network, to the cell phone towers. And, you know, this has been ongoing since the 80s. There's different generations. It's kind of like, you know, your car 10 years ago was a lot different than it is today. And it's the right. next generation of car now, the electric cars and self-driving and all that. So think of it that way. It's just the next step in how you deliver data to your phone and calls and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And so the way it's different from LTE is it's faster uh, in the sense that, I mean, it's supposed to be in the sense that uh, you can download stuff, you know, more stuff uh, quicker. Um, And then there's this thing called latency. You probably haven't heard of it. But basically, you know, um, when you're playing video games, and uh, or maybe you know you're like clicking something on a website like a button it, yep. it might take a second to react that's latency right um and and if you're playing on a network with a video game or something or as i said browsing the web is a good example you'll you notice that delay and that delay is is generally pretty big right now over a cell phone connection 
it's much faster at home when you're on your home internet. Mm-hmm. But 5G is trying to change that and make it make that delay, that latency lower, so that it's more in line with what you have at home on a good internet connection, like a cable connection or something. So nice. reducing latency, possibly even better even with 5G than your home. So right. think of 5G as kind of bringing home grade internet, uh, like high, like the the better kind of home grade internet to your phone, and um, and, yeah. that, and, and everywhere. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. And we're definitely gonna we're definitely gonna dive into that a little bit. All right. Uh, well done. I mean, I, I I feel like I know more um, if I were if I were at that fictional party that we can't attend right now anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so I guess the ne- the first question I want to ask, or like the next the next topic that I want to cover is like, how did we get to a place where we have such competing standards uh, you know against each other and we basically were we've got network carriers bashing up against each other because of their respective decisions so like well, how it's an we get answer here? it's really an answer in three parts okay and, and the the preface is that it's actually not complicated at all okay. but to the average person on the street who knows nothing about tech yeah, it is complicated. But to be honest with you, 4G is complicated. 3G is complicated. And they don't even know any of that, right? So what we really need is to more a, a blanket education on how cell phones work, right? So well, that's sure. the first answer. The first answer is that cellular technology, all the Gs from 1G to 2G to 3G to 4G to 5G are the result of technologies used mostly by science and like, you know, developed by scientists and in universities and military use, because mm-hmm. they're always at the forefront of everything that, you know, were used for special cases that became used for general purpose, right? Okay. So latency is a really big problem. And also different parts of the world are diff- have different, you know, geographical requirements in terms of their sizes Mm-hmm. And shapes, right? Like China and the United States and Canada and India are massive countries, right? Yeah. Um, China and India are very dense countries of a lot of people in that large mass. Um, but then you have countries like Japan, which are very dense but very small. Right. And then you have the reverse. You have Canada, which is very big, bigger than the US, but not dense at all. There's only a, most of the population is concentrated in southwestern Ontario. Right. Right. And then you have like the U.S., which is a mix of both. You get like super dense centers on the coast and in the middle, a few cities. And then in the uh, the rest of it is just like a whole lot open of fields and desert <laughs> and mountains and gorgeousness. Right. Mm-hmm. That's why we love the U.S. Yes. At least I do, because it's such a gorgeous country. USA. So, USA. No, no, no. We don't need to go there. <laughs> Let's not get carried away now. Um, it, but. It is an election year. You know, I'm also a Canadian, so I, I could say Canada. That's true. Anyway, because Canada is pretty too. Um, but the point I'm trying to get, so that's the first, the, the first thing I want to say is that you have to understand the history and why we did the things we did. Right. Now, the second thing that I want to talk about is, and, and I've kind of insinuated with density and population sizes and country sizes, is the d- different geographies also have different politics, right? Mm-hmm. And different politics dictate technology and their implementations. As you know, Europe likes to standardize things, right? That's what the big thing that's like, they're going to make a standard and everything's just going to work. That's what GSM was, the 2G standard. It was a world standard. But right. the Americans developed their own 2G and then their own 3G in, in parallel. And it was a bit of a mess. Eventually, one of the goals of 4G LTE was to consolidate the entire world, right? right. In terms of not the frequencies, but at least 
the the mechanisms of how things talk to each other. Yeah. Right. So five G builds on that. But what you have to understand is that because different countries have different politics and geography and densities and sizes and requirements and legacy radio utilization, what I mean by that is, you know, old technologies like analog TV, analog radio, which we still use in the US known as FM, but is dying everywhere else because they have digital terrestrial radio. We have serious satellite right. radio instead. But my point is, we're going away from analog TV and we've definitely left analog TV behind, but we're still slowly going away from analog radio. And these frequencies are freeing up, right? Mm -hmm. And as the world is using more and more devices on cell networks, like more and more 4G, 3G, 2G devices over time, if you look, it's an exponential growth, you know, um, you need more bandwidth. You need to be able to pack more of these calls and data connections on one tower or on multiple towers, right? Right. And so you need more bandwidth. You need more radio wave frequencies and bands to do that stuff mm -hmm. and that's where it gets that's where a lot of the complication of 5g comes in is that 5g lets you use like old legacy tv broadcast stuff from the u.s like 600 megahertz band n71 on t-mobile mm -hmm. all the way to 39 38 whatever gigahertz microwave millimeter wave you know that that verizon is using it's it's like such a broad you know, chunk of radio spectrum. And 4G did not have that. 3G did not have that. 2G did not have that. It's because as we're freeing up all these old analog frequencies in different countries, we now have more options for 5G. And then conversely, 5G is the first of the Gs to use millimeter wave technology or microwaves. Right. And, and that is being used by satellites forever. GPS works like that. Um, you know, <laughs> your your uh your wi-fi works like that 2.5 and 5 gigahertz as soon as you giga you're in the you're in the microwaves right that's why your microwave oven interferes with your 2.4 gigahertz uh, wi-fi network because right. it's exactly the same frequencies um and so if your microwave is a little janky and leaks a little bit of radio frequency when you turn it on it it interferes yeah. and it also interferes with bluetooth which is using the same so we've had microwave use technology for transmission of of signals, but mm -hmm. not for cellular as much until 5G. Right. And that opens up a whole bunch of possibilities. Mostly it opens up incredible performance and speeds, but with higher frequencies, like when you go from normal cellular to millimeter wave cellular, you know, not even bringing 5G into the equation. If you want to work in these high frequencies where Wi-Fi and microwaves and Sirius XM exists and, and, and GPS exists, all that, all the stuff that usually is reserved for satellite communication, but is now used terrestrial on, on, on Earth with cell phone towers. Right. You need a lot of towers really close together because they don't reach as far. Right. Right? Yeah. So the drawback of higher frequencies, and this is why 5G hasn't really existed, like cellular with high millimeter wave hasn't really existed until 5G, is because we didn't have a technology that made it possible. Right. 5G uses a whole bunch of radio technology. It's essentially, it's like the not just the next generation of G. It's also the, a complete rethink of how to do radio. Mm, and that's why okay. it's called NR, new radio. Right. Now, the sub-6 stuff, the stuff that uses 600 megahertz and the old cellular frequencies and even reform some of the old TV broadcast stuff, that's not NR. That's actually... You know, it's technically still called new radio, but it's it's really not millimeter wave and it doesn't really benefit. And that's kind of where it gets complicated. You have this duality between 
you know, as I said earlier, LT on steroids, which is the sub six stuff, mm-hmm. and sub six means sub six gigahertz. So that also includes some of the millimeter wave bands in there because anything above a thousand megahertz, aka one gigahertz, is really millimeter wave ish. Right. It's starting to be, right. or at least it's it's it's, you know, it's definitely uh, uh, you know, I wouldn't say millimeter, but it's definitely microwave. Um, so, you know. That's kind of the where the, the duality is and the complication is that we've introduced a whole radical new way of transmitting. Gotcha. So in other words, so in other words, 5G is kind of filling in that that last uh, that last and instead of like a one size fits all solution, kind of like a what 4G is is sort of like a one size fits all solution. 5G is much more specialized use cases for like you yeah. Know, so the idea between millimeter wave at least 5G and I should say yeah, I should, flavor, I should I should qualify that by saying is millimeter for super wave, high but, density concerts. Yeah. You know, stuff that doesn't matter for COVID right now. <laughs> right. right, right. So concerts, stadiums, Well, I mean, it airports. causes COVID. So, I mean, that's... that's uh, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, let's not go there. <laughs> uh, but, but my point is, you know, um, those are the kind of the, the use cases, right? Like, mm-hmm. and, and, for, and so eventually, though, we will have probably antennas in every other lamppost and every other traffic light and every block. And then, right. you know, you will get... Uh, indoors, it will be much reduced in speed because just getting through your windows will be a, a challenge for millimeter wave. Right. But it will work enough that, you know, it'll bridge the gap between that and your Wi-Fi if you don't have Wi-Fi. And or uh, the mid-band stuff, which is sub-6, but like higher than one gigahertz. So like mm-hmm. the stuff where where Timo right now is playing a little bit because mm-hmm. they bought the Sprint Spectrum is uh is going to be the kind of the bread and butter which is basically what it is today like if you use um 3G or 4G in the cities on most carriers today you're using something like you know 1800 megahertz 1900 megahertz 2100 megahertz which is 2.5 you know 2.1 gigahertz you know yeah. um 2.5 gigahertz 2.6 gigahertz which is sprints frequency so basically you're already using that stuff for LTE and so it's just getting reused it's called refarmed for 5G Mm -hmm. so that everything is under one umbrella and so the idea here is that based on where you are and what you're doing how dense the situation is your phone will automatically and the network will automatically scale to make to give you good performance low latency um, you know and, and support the number of people needed on the network at that time. Are you enjoying this interview? Now, you may notice that this is not the normal mid-interview clip that I normally roll because this one is special. Miriam is such a wonderful trove of information that our full interview was just a couple minutes shy of an hour. And my normal mid-roll spot says, quote, over 10 minutes, which usually is about true. But in this case, it's actually closer to 30 minutes of extra audio. Now, the same rules apply. Patrons already have the full interview and everyone else will get it on February 1st at patreon.com slash benefit of the doubt. Once again, that's patreon.com slash benefit of the doubt. And again, as of February 1st, you don't have to be a patron to hear the full interview. But you know, I'd appreciate it. You get that, plus you get all the other benefits of being a patron on the podcast, including this particular week, the decision of whether to run this interview or a different interview. You just never know what you're going to get when you go behind the scenes and find out how the sausage is made. Anyway, I'll let you get back to the interview because there's more good stuff to come. 
time. That's the magic. That's what we're hoping for. That's that's what we're hoping for, but we're not and there And that's yet. what 5G is supposed to enable, but it's going to take a while because as you can imagine, the infrastructure to put in a tower, or a, even if it's just a small antenna, mm-hmm. like a, a cabinet and an antenna at each, at each block is tremendous. Right. And uh, you need a backhaul for that. How, how do these towers connect to the internet? Right. So you need to get They the- need to connect themselves somehow to, and they need a brick fat pipe because they might have a hundred of people on that block talking at the same time or downloading 4K video at the same time. Or, or so even more need, if you're in something like yeah, Manhattan or, more. or something. So like, like you're in Manhattan, yeah. you have thousands of people on block. So you're going to need fat uh, fiber optic pipes or microwave itself, like more wireless transmission <laughs> from the towers to some sort of central tower, like line of sight, right? Um. Because line of, if you can put two antennas facing each other, you can go much further with millimeter wave. The challenge right. with millimeter wave and microwave is that your your phone doesn't always face towards the antenna, right? right so you need exactly. to really, yeah. right. So that's kind of what a lot of the technologies that make it possible for the antennas not to face each other is what enabled millimeter wave five G, right? Like so, beam forming and um, you know antenna arrays, and it's it's fascinating from an injured perspective what's going on here like people would dismiss 5g i mean i'm not even talking about the conspiracy theorists here but i'm talking even people who think oh whatever 5g or whatever they don't understand like from an engineering perspective a lot of work went into this yeah totally it is amazing let me ask you this what what so the the naysayers for 5g and i i kind of count myself among them when i especially when it comes to the millimeter wave 5g because i've tested it on several different occasions and i've always come away like potentially cool but eh, not there yet so like what do you say to people that are naysaying the millimeter wave tech as it exists today or is is it too early to be making those judgments or is it um you know are our expectations it too is, high or what's should, going on it, it is too early and they should naysay it is not ready for prime time it's we're basically beta testing right now. So when Verizon is selling a 5G phone with their millimeter wave tech, uh, technology, it's up to us as reviewers to say, yeah, not so fast. It, it, Correct. Okay. But that actually brings us to the third part of my answer. Okay. <laughs> it's very important. Is each the reason I mentioned this before that each carrier has different flavors of 5G and you mm-hmm. actually touched on this. You actually jumped right into it and said, you know, AT&T is uh, only low band and yeah. T-Mobile has mid and low and, and, and well, AT&T also have some millimeter wave or high band. Well, so uh, does T-Mobile. And, and yeah. So T-Mobile, yeah. <laughs> Everybody does. Verizon only has high band millimeter wave. So this is, this is the next thing you need to understand is that, again, politics, geography, History has brought us to a place where different carriers have acquired different chunks of that radio spectrum mm-hmm. over time. Mm-hmm. And so over history, over time, certain networks, uh, certain carriers got one over others and got chunks of, of network spectrum that benefits them or doesn't benefit them. Right. And really with 5G, you know, it's very complicated as to how they got to where they are, the three carriers that we have now, but that's, you know, they have a finite amount of spectrum they can use in these wave, in this, in his, in the, of, of waves and bands. Right. That is assigned to them by the FTC. And a lot of it is also another way to get around these and, and acquire what you need is through acquisitions. So that's right. how T-Mobile bought Sprint to get the mid-band stuff. Um, but, and that's good. That's, that's how our country works. That's capitalism. It's fine. 
you know, as long USA, as USA, the, <laughs> as long as the rules are respected, which I think is another big problem, right? Like right. Verizon not locking devices right now is actually against their license for LTE for 700 megahertz. Mm, okay. Um, and they are not supposed to lock devices for that network right. at all. And they do. And uh, the FCC is kind of looking the other way, but technically somebody really should sue them for this. Right. Um, but the FCC might still cite for them because right now they're in the pocket of our regime, which is broken. USA, USA. <laughs> <laughs> Canada, gonna, Canada. That's going to be a recurring okay. theme. So, But the, the point I'm making here is that um, there's like low, mid, and millimeter wave, right? Mm -hmm. And low and mid are part of sub six. So once you have this in your head, if you look at the carriers right now, T-Mobile has all three. They're the only ones Yeah. right now. AT&T has low band and millimeter wave. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Verizon only has millimeter wave. And that's the biggest problem with Verizon right now is that they are starving and hurting for some lower mid band. Mm -hmm. Now they have low band on LTE, but they can't free it up because they need on LTE. Right. So it's tough, right? Because it's like, <laughs> they have the best LTE, honestly, in the US right now. Like you can get better speeds on LTE on Verizon than on T-Mobile and AT&T low band 5G right now. I Most places. Totally, yeah, absolutely. And so that's the thing you have to understand. And that's, this is why 5G is, the you know, and, and we'll get to this in the conclusion here, but you have to ask yourself, do I really need it? Because, well, you might not. Right. And it's really an individual on individual case basis, right? So, so the thing you have to understand, though, is that, yes, different carriers have different bands and different types of 5G, but sometimes their, their LTE might be better. Mm -hmm. In some areas, even though uh, T-Mobile's LTE and 5G on 600 megahertz low band in most markets, in some places, it's, one is better than the other, and it might not be that 5G is better automatically. Right. Right? So just be aware of that. Yeah. But yeah. the point is that, you know, right now, millimeter wave is the future. Millimeter wave will be vi something viable in five to 10 years. But today's 5G is really just 4G LTE on steroids for most people. And in the case of 18 customers, it's for AT&T, it's basically the same. Right. And then for Timo, it's a little better, maybe. And then if you're in a bigger city in Timo, you get the mid-band stuff and then it's actually kind of worth it. Yeah. So the answer is switch to Timo. And I'm not saying that because I'm a customer because honestly, I still, I've, you know, for years now, they've, they've definitely been the better the better network. Yeah. But here's the thing you have to know about any of this is it doesn't matter what I think and it doesn't matter what is right for me. It matters what is right for you. So um, w w uh, I just had a couple other questions for you. Um, w what's the most exciting thing about 5G either now or in the future uh, that nobody's talking about? 5G used for private networks. So okay. in a factory... Right now, when you are say you're Tesla and you're building you're building a new gigafactory in in Berlin, right? Mm -hmm. Like they're they're doing. Um, right now, all your robots and all your all your all your assembly line equipment has to be wired and connected to a network physically by cables or fiber optic, and of course get power, right? And so, as your you know production requirements need uh, changes, your needs change. You need to rearrange the, the layout of the factory. Maybe move this robot over here because it's more efficient or whatever. It's very time consuming and expensive because you have to rerun wires and mm -hmm. lines and you know saying all that stuff. So five uh, G is going to enable um, this to be a lot easier because it's low latency, high bandwidth, and you can you know create uh, systems where the antenna is actually like 
close to each other or facing one another and stuff yeah. because it's a relatively a static setup. Um, you'll be able to get the same performance as a fiber network or whatever without having to run the wire. Okay, so it'll be right? completely wireless, but it'll be just as fast and just yeah. as low latency as if it were So now wired. you only have to worry about power, which is a lot easier to manage because power is big, pretty ubiquitous in factories. Whereas, you know, I mean, in the case of Tesla, they're building a brand new factory, so they're probably doing it like the way they want to or they need to. Sure. But if you're like acquiring, in the case of the the Fremont plant where they bought the the plant from Toyota uh, GM partnership called Lumi, mm -hmm. they um they had to do with what they had, right? So right. Uh, so five G for that's going to be very helpful. Okay. Also, when I, in other terms of private networks, um, it's not private per se, but more like, um, if your 5G device can talk directly to another 5G device instead of going through the network, mm -hmm. kind of like peer-to-peer um, -peer yeah. networking. Um, your cars could start talking to one another on the road. Okay. So it's called vehicle-to-vehicle -vehicle communication. And there's also vehicle-to-grid communication and vehicle-to-infrastructure communication. So imagine you have a 5G radio in your car and that it's not just connected to the internet cell towers to get a network connection into the cloud, mm -hmm. but it's also connecting to other vehicles and traffic lights and that's infrastructure. And uh, grid, when you plug into charge, uh, talks to the electrical uh, network, to, you know, to, the, to, the, to the utility. Mm -hmm. Imagine all of this were happening. And now we're on the freeway. You know, not all cars are self-driving. Not all cars or not, not all people choose to use self-driving. And a car breaks ahead of you. If, it has, if a lot of the cars in that cluster of cars suddenly breaking has V2V, your car will auto-brake. Mm, okay. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And because it's low latency, because you won't even see that there's something happening. Like you won't even see red brake lights registering. Now, the people in that cluster that don't have V2V are going to have to react like humans, right? Right. But here's the thing. Your car still has all these sensors. So even if the car in the middle of the cluster doesn't have that capability and there's a human suddenly react, reacting with a three-second delay to having to brake... Your sensors can sense that and tell the rest of you people behind you, right? Yeah, okay. And so you got this kind of cascading chain effect that gets modified like a game of telephone and, and adjusted based on what's really happening in real time because of low latency, stuff like that. And what you're talking so, about is like direct, like peer-to-peer, -peer, like not something that you're going to get through a Verizon or an AT, but this is no, a no. direct communication yeah. between the two vehicles, like anonymized basically and encrypted Correct, and all that. Yeah. And, and now we're not talking about the marketing speak 5G. We're talking about the actual applications of this, of this standard that, that other, you know, other companies can use that aren't carriers. So that's cool. Totally. Yeah. And so, I mean, these are some examples, um, but there are others. And, um, but the, the, the one that's most obvious to people is like, you know, carrier kind of like right. based, right? How is this but going to help me download my cat pictures faster? Exactly. Yeah. And everybody wants that. Oh, we all know sure. that. Sure. I mean, who doesn't? And when you consider when you consider the infrastructure that's going to be involved in putting like a functional five uh, millimeter wave network together, like in say an urban center, it, it what, um, what, if anything, do you anticipate that type of infrastructure will enable us to do going forward past that? Because now we're going to have now we're going to have pipes every 800 feet within cities. So, I mean, is that going to open things up even more for the future? It's more of a cause and effect thing mm -hmm. than an effect. You know, like it's hard to like I'll give you an example. When 4G was being rolled out. Uh, remember the HTC Thunderbolt from Verizon, which was a, you know, first gen modem, yeah. eight battery, like you wouldn't believe. Yeah. 
nobody really knew what we were ended up using it for. But if you look now, hindsight, right? Mm-hmm. You can look back and say, oh, well, look, Uber and Lyft, that's a direct result of 4G. Sure. Okay. Right? So we didn't know then that we would create that, you know, but now we know. And so 5G is the same thing. I think like people looking for a reason are looking at it the wrong way. Right. We need to create this because, because we're we humans can. and humans... <laughs> move forward and progress and technology and science are real and we make stuff happen. Right. And then we figure out what to do with it. Yeah. Okay. I think asking yourselves, what can I solve? What problem can this solve is a good thing, but it's not really where we want to go. It's more like, what will this enable? Right. And we don't know. And until we put it out there, we won't know. And that's actually okay. Yeah. And arguably the most exciting part. That's actually how it's cool about it. But what we do know, like there's absolute tangible evidence of, is that, well, it's faster, has more bandwidth, allows more devices on one tower, and has lower latency. So that immediately opens up all kinds of things you can think of. But I'm not sure I've heard of an example that's really that great yet. But gaming can benefit. VR can benefit. Mm -hmm. Although I think VR is kind of gimmicky. I think AR is more interesting. Ouch, You know, that scene... (laughs) Try to keep keep the gloves up there, Miriam. Come on. Well, Miriam, I have I've kept you a lot longer than I thought I was going to, and that's that's wonderful because you have been a font of information. But right now, I want to go ahead and roll out the red carpet for you and let you tell my listeners like what you're doing these days and where they can find you and all that fun stuff. Sure thing. So um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Tankerl. T N K G R L is my handle on both of those. It's like Tankerl the comic book, but without the vowels. Mm-hmm. If you're uh, old enough to know that, then uh, if you're not, um, check out Tank Girl. Google it. It's a great comic book, and there's a movie to, as well. It's it's a fun it's a fun thing. If you're a bit of a nerd, you'll you'll love it. <laughs> um, so Tank Girl, T N K G R L on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Twitter is a good place to talk to me about you know this podcast and stuff mm-hmm. or whatever, and my own podcast, which I'm going to get to in a second. And then Instagram is a great place to see pictures of phones I'm reviewing, photos taken with these phones because I love imaging cameras and photography. Mm-hmm. And then um, there's my podcast, which is the Mobile Tech Podcast at mobiletechpodcast.com. So just mobiletechpodcast.com. I'm also on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify. So pretty much everywhere Adam's Awesome Podcasts will be found. You should be able to find my podcast as well by Googling or typing in Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl. And uh, there's a YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com slash mobiletechpodcast uh, with some unboxing, some reviews, some hands-on, basically visual content mm-hmm. that goes along with the audio of my show and the audio of this show. Nice. So check all of that out. And, uh, you know, let's, uh, let's chat. Let's chat about 5G and other things. Amazing. Amazing. Well, Miriam, thank you once again for taking the time to come on. And I hope I can reciprocate sometime on your show as well. And um, Definitely. And uh, let's, uh, you know, I hope to have you back again soon. Yeah. Thanks for having me again, Adam. And uh, it was a pleasure. And I'll talk to you soon. So that's going to do it for this podcast. I'd like to thank Miriam Joire for coming on and chatting all about the five G's and encourage you to go check out her podcast, which is the mobile tech podcast. There's a link in the show notes. I'd also like to thank Cliff Thomas for all of his hard work behind the scenes, but most of all, and as always, I'd like to thank you for listening and for giving me the benefit of the doubt.